Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter by the qualities that are most important to you. Then book free 15-minute consultations with any therapist you're interested in seeing. And because 95% of therapists at Alma accept insurance, you can find care that's affordable too. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com slash therapy30 to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com slash therapy30. Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and every Thursday we release these special episodes where we look back at content from our earlier years, sometimes single stories, sometimes whole episodes. Keep in mind that years ago, people might have worded things differently than they would today. As always, the title of the whole series, Risk, is itself a content warning. This week, a story that Dan Savage first shared on the podcast in January of 2015. Here's Dan now with a story we call Melting. I feel weird telling this story after um, the last couple of very moving Stories that were very important in mine is just the theme was fucked up, so I have a bullshit fucked up drugstore to tell you. <laughs> I did acid in college. I did everything, most things in college. I didn't smoke pot for the first time until I was 36, and I haven't stopped since. Um, but I, I, you know, I just sort of did a little bit of drugs in college, and I, I, I took acid in college uh, with my friend Maureen, and we were at the Cranert Center for the Performing Arts, which just had this amazing, huge lobby with these sort of striped Carrera marble walls and this parquet inlaid flooring that went on for an acre, and this paneling, and we did acid in the lobby, and we just hung out there until the walls were kind of moving a little bit, and the floors were going like this, and sort of Escher-ish lizards were coming out of the parquet, but just very subtle, and you kind of had to look. <laughs> and we would look at each other and go, yeah, yeah, if I concentrate, I can see shit, right? And that for me was acid. I was like, well, that's didn't live up to the hype. And about 10 years later, I'm in Seattle, and somebody offers me acid. And I thought, oh, they were supposed to, you know, have something else for us, but they didn't. They offered me acid, and I was like, yeah, well, acid's kind of boring, but okay, whatever. I'll have some acid. 
So I had a hit of acid, and about 45 minutes later, uh, you know, we're getting sort of the Escher effect, and like things are moving just a little bit, and I'm going like this, and like, yes, I can feel it. And I think, okay, acid, this is what I remember. And they were like, is it good? And I was like, yeah, it's okay, it's sort of subtle. And they're like, would you want another hit? And I said, okay, sure, I could handle double this. Because it's nothing, this is, a, this is nothing. And so I had another hit of acid, and after I took the second hit of acid, the first one kicked in. <laughs> and suddenly, like, the floors were opening up and the walls were collapsing and people were melting and things were turning inside out. And I, was, I had the presence of mind to realize that the second hit of acid couldn't have hit in, like, those two minutes. So this was just the first fucking hit of acid. And I was in for it. And I'm not a big fan of hallucinogens. I'd never done mushrooms before. I'd never done acid since that one time in college. I did acid and stopped, never did it again. And so I'm like, holy fuck, I'm really fucked. Um, and here's this detail I've omitted. I was in drag in a gay bar on Halloween. <laughs> and I was the MC, host, and judge of the costume contest at midnight. And since I was the host, I'd gotten there at about nine o'clock. So I'd had that first hit at about 9.05, and the second hit at about 9.45. And so by 10, I was like fucked up on acid. And by 10.30, I was fucked up on acid. And just in a, in a terrible way. Like it was not, I was not having a good time, but I was also trapped. I couldn't leave. I'm a workaholic. Like, I had a job to do that night, and I, and I couldn't leave. And even if I wanted to leave, I couldn't find my way out of the bar. <laughs> and, of course, you know, they tried to put a microphone in my hand, and it's like it was the bar owner who gave me the acid. So it wasn't like he... It was his bad. He fucked up his own night at the bar. And I, 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 was, I was helpless and useless and terrified because I'd never really done hallucinogens, uh, except for that one time in college where it was very subtle. And no one had told me that in the intervening decade, acid had either gotten so much stronger, or we really weren't getting very good acid in the cornfields in downstate Illinois in 1985. <laughs> and so word spread through the bar that I was fucked up on acid, which is why I didn't make any sense and why I looked so scared. And it was like waving a red flag in front of a hundred faggy bulls because then people wanted to fuck with me because I was fucked up on acid and they were in Halloween costumes and what could be more fun than leaping out at me or running up to me or just standing in front of me staring. And it got to a point where I couldn't trust the floor would be there anymore. Like, it was scary. I was like, I had the presence of mind to know I was standing at that place that you'd read about that people don't come back from. And I was like, wow, this is fucking scary. And I didn't know what to do and I couldn't host the contest. So I uh, resigned like Pope Benedict. I will not be hosting the contest. I shall not be Pope tonight. 
And I didn't, and I was, nothing was there. Not, I didn't know where I started and the world, I ended and the world began and I couldn't judge space and I, the floor was opening up in front of me and the walls were disappearing and everybody was in fucking Halloween costumes <laughs> in a gay bar. And so I walked up to the bar, which was covered in drinks because Halloween is a big gay night. Uh, not as big as it used to be, but still big. And I just took my hand and I went like this. And I knocked everybody's fucking drinks off the bar so that I could leap up there in my little latex dress and my high boots and my big boobs and my hair and just grip the bar and sit there waiting for this to pass. And, um, and I couldn't look at the bar. I was just staring straight ahead because if I looked at the bar, it would disappear and my hands would go through it. But if I just didn't look, I could white knuckle my way through the night sitting on the bar. And here's the thing about, you know, me and drugs. Like, I do not have an addictive personality. I have tried most drugs and gone, wow, that was fun. I'll do that again sometime in 10 or 15 years. I don't understand people who do a drug and then do it all the time because you destroy what's fun about that drug. Then you have to do the drug for it to be Tuesday morning in the rain and going to work as opposed to some euphoric out of body experience. Like you ruin the drug if you do it a lot. So if you do a drug once and it's great, you put that drug up on a shelf and you don't do it again for a very long time. So that's kind of my relationship with drugs, except for pot, which isn't a drug, it's oxygen. <laughs> Enhanced oxygen techniques, that's pot. <laughs> Too soon. Um, so that's my relationship with drugs. I have a very sort of easy breezy, non-stressful, non-addictive kind of relationship with drugs. I'm just addicted to work and dick. Those are my addictions. Um, but I have a really complicated relationship with gay bars. I've, I've never felt comfortable in gay bars. I remember going into the first gay bar I ever went to, The Bushes on Halstead Street in Chicago when I was a teenager, and it felt like passing through an airlock. There were two doors. It literally felt like, you know, 2001. You're going through this airlock and your ears popped when you got inside because it was the first time in your life everybody was like you and you weren't behind enemy lines trying to pretend and pass and you weren't scrutinizing yourself for evidence of gayness that might give you away. You could relax. And that lasted about 11 minutes, that feeling of relaxation, before I realized that rather than being scrutinized by my peers and my parents and my siblings for evidence of gayness, I was being scrutinized by other gay people for evidence of hotness or wanna fuck you-ness. And that scrutiny, that male gaze thing that women rightly complain about is really suffocating. And I don't react well to it. I'm really a spaz about it. So my relationship with gay bars is really, I'm not, I'm not comfortable in gay bars, I'm not relaxed in gay bars, unless I have a job to do, like host the costume contest on Halloween, which I wasn't doing that night. I was just gripping the end of the table for three and a half hours. <laughs> and I still have this complicated relationship with gay bars, and that's one of the reasons I really liked doing drag. When I first moved to Seattle, I started doing drag, and I did it for years, and I was really pretty. I have pictures in my phone, if anybody wants to challenge me on that. After I can prove it, straight guys wanted to fuck me. That's how pretty I was. Straight guys would say, I'll let you give me a blowjob. And I would say, right after you finish blowing me, I will blow you. And some of them took me up on it. <laughs> but drag would make me comfortable in gay bars because when you put drag on in a gay bar, you are stepping outside of the contest. You are not, the, the, the guy, no one wants to have sex with you except 
the odd straight guy, very odd straight guy, <laughs> might want to have sex with you, but you have removed yourself from the like scrutiny, the male gaze, the who wants to, you're not being sorted. And everybody does that in gay bars, including me, this thing I'm complaining about, I do. Everybody looks around and sorts people into would fuck and wouldn't fuck. Want to talk to you, don't want to talk to. And that's like the meat markety thing about a gay bar. And that's nothing necessarily wrong with gay bars or gay culture. Like there are straight bars that are like that. They're meat markets. They're places people go to present their asses like baboons and say, fuck me, right? <laughs> and there are certain straight bars like that, but all gay bars are that. <laughs> because gay people who don't want to go to a gay bar like that go to a regular bar. They go to the straight bars that aren't straight meat markets, which are actually everybody bars and regular bars. But you know, you're presenting your baboon big red ass in a gay bar all the time, unless you're in drag. And it's like putting on a Roman collar, what putting on a Roman collar used to mean, which was, I'm a celibate and I'm removed from the sexual contest. Now, of course, it means I fucked your kid. <laughs> and so to be in drag in a gay bar, I would be comfortable. Except that one night when I was on acid. And it lasted about three and a half hours and everything was, uh, the only way I can describe it is things were boiling. Like, it just felt like the world was at a boil. Those bubbles, that churn, like a pot, of, and everything was turning inside out, and people were exploding and melting, and walls were this infinite space. And it, I was fine for about three hours, and then I had to pee. And when you can't feel the end of yourself and the beginning of the rest of creation, that thing you have to do where you release to urinate is very difficult. And at this point, my roommate Tom, thank God, he was such a great guy, had showed up at the bar and found me. And this is pre-cell phones because I couldn't start texting people in a panic to come save me. Tom came and found me and I said, I have to pee, but I can't find the bathroom or my penis. <laughs> and I don't, I don't want uh, to pee here on the bar. And the bartenders are already really mad at me because when I did this, I knocked, I don't know how many glasses into the ice chests. Where they shattered. <laughs> so Tom walked me, carried me to the bathroom, and stood me in front of the toilet and pulled my pantyhose down <laughs> and my latex skirt up and held my dick and pointed it at the toilet and stood there holding my dick for the 40 minutes it took me <laughs> to let go and pee into this toilet. And then the bar was closed and they threw us out and we had to walk home. And it was a little eventful. We were chased at one point, which is not fun when you're in drag and you're on acid and still really fucked up. And we get home and then it was always a little weird to take the makeup off when you're not fucked up on acid, but to take the makeup off when you are, when you're, you're, you're looking in the mirror, you're already melting. You haven't touched a thing and you're fucking melting. And then you pull your eyelashes off. And you know how like a slice of cheese pizza will do that string of cheese thing and you're like trying to break the string of cheese? I'm doing that with my eyelashes and then washing my face and the makeup is just running down my face and my chest and you know I had tits and then I didn't have tits. The tits sort of floated away into the universe. I had this big head of hair and my head was this big and then my head was this tiny little pin because the hair had gone away. And this lasted, this trip really lasted till the next morning. And I haven't done acid since. Acid then went onto a very high shelf. <laughs> and in retrospect, it was 
an okay experience, even though it was very embarrassing. Thank God. Let's just pause here for a moment. Thank God this was pre-Instagram. <laughs> Pre-Vine. Pre-blogging. Pre-everyone having a telephone in their pocket with a video camera on it. Because there would be evidence of this night. And I, I put the acid up on the highest shelf. Like, never, ever, ever. I, I don't think I could do acid again because I don't want to be back there. Which brings me back to gay bars. I still go. My, my husband really is at home in gay bars and likes to go. So I go with him and I get high on marijuana, enhanced oxygen techniques. And I go with him and I'm fine, even if I don't have anything to do. But I still feel this conflict about being in a gay bar because I don't want to be looked at like that. I don't want to be weighed and measured and assessed and sorted, right? And I say that as a hypocrite because I am in that gay bar weighing and measuring and sorting myself at the same time. It's men do that. That's what we do. We are testosterone pickled dick monsters. <laughs> But something kind of magic has happened to me in the last five-ish years. I used to do drag, because you would put on the drag and then you were outside of that weighing and measuring and sorting. You had stepped out of it. And now I'm old. <laughs> now I'm 50. Now I have gray hair and I am out of it, right? I have, I have been removed. It used to be I would have to do drag to wrench myself out of that sexual marketplace. I would have to disguise myself, bury myself in makeup and wigs and latex dresses and tits to be free from that assessment, that judging, that sorting. But age has sort of lifted me to this place where I am now free from it without drag. And I am a little more ironically comfortable in gay bars now as a 50 year old who is not in competition anymore than I was as a 24-year-old, or a 25-year-old, or a 35-year-old, which just seems so ironic, because the usual rap on gay bars is the older you get, the less welcome you feel, the more judged and dismissed you feel. And I feel the opposite. I feel, some guys complain about this, I feel invisible in a gay bar, and I love it. I used to make myself invisible with drag in gay bars, and now age has made me invisible, and I can move through the room like a ghost and no one sees me. I'm happy that there are gay bars, I really am. But I think I'm like an American Jew and how an American Jew feels about Israel. I'm happy to have a homeland. I don't wanna live there. Thank you very much. That's all for this week's Classic Risk Singles episode. Now, don't miss out on our regular full-length episodes. There's a brand new one every Tuesday. And everything you might want to know about us is at risk-show.com.